I can't stop giggling when I smoke weed, but I'm going to try really hard today to stop. What do we say? It's 420 somewhere. (laughs) What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Welcome to episode two of We'd Like to Talk. With your pals, Hal. And Jamal. Yeah. Here we are. We're back for our second inaugural episode. Second inaugural? I was just going to say, that doesn't make sense. We're back for our second episode. (laughs) Um, And yeah, today we're going to talk about our two favorite things, at length, queerness, and weed. Yes! (laughs) For anyone that can't see, I just have to make a very quick announcement jamel is glammed up today and looks extraordinary (laughs) thank you yeah you know i decided that we're doing a queer episode so i wanted to let all my queerness fly Mm. um well Uh, not all of it all the work friendly (laughs) anyway um so (laughs) many people don't know that um cannabis legalization is connected to gay history here in the United States. Um, What did you know about weed and gay culture? Well, besides being a queer person that enjoys weed and knowing many other queers that enjoy weed, I don't think I knew that there was much of a connection. And when I learned it was actually through you pre-working at Blackbird, it was 420 of 2019 or 18 I don't remember and you went on Instagram and did a quick history lesson and I learned so much that I actually looked it up after that and it was interesting because I've learned about Harvey Milk living in the Bay Area you know Harvey Milk's kind of celebrated everywhere so I knew quite a bit about him and I knew he was involved in cannabis legalization um, but I didn't know the depths of it and so it really wasn't until I got this job and or actually thanks to you and your introduction via Instagram (laughs) that I really learned. And I mean, just recently during the last pride month, I spent quite a bit of time reading about it and, you know, watching some historical historical YouTube videos about Dennis Perone and Harvey Milk. And yeah, so it's new to me. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I feel like gay culture, there's a lot of things that are prevalent in gay culture because gay culture is kind of like, weed in that it cuts across demographics you have gay people in every part of society um and then when they come together in like queer spaces then there's often this like melding of people and of expectations etc and i think that that's like how uh, shit works in the gay community that we just take it all in and then we like decide what we like and start to just use it for us like it's for the gays (laughs) for the gays weed is for the gays it was it was put in the soil to be made for the gays. <laughs> yeah. But I think the connection that I make to it with queer culture is also that, um, you know, as gay people, we have been ostracized and announced as wrong or illegal or, you know, all these similar things to cannabis. Whereas just like cannabis plants, we are natural, baby. We came from the same soil that you did. So did the plant. Like, wow. why do we have to make these distinctions between certain people and certain plants and to define what's right and what's wrong? And I think that that to me, like 
makes me really interested in cannabis for not the actual use of it, but just like the way it's been um, historically treated from human by humans and same about gay people. Like who decided what plant was right and what was wrong? What person was right? What was wrong? So, you know, blasphemy is what I have to say about the whole topic. <laughs> right. I, right. I actually had never thought about that. Um, I had thought about cannabis in relation to other natural products. You know, I think about mushrooms and even the, the way that we regulate substances in general, I think is really predatory to people who are, um, who don't have access to pay legal fees and who aren't able to get lawyers, et cetera. Um, and so that in general always made me uncomfortable with, with um, the way that cannabis is treated, but I had never thought about, right, the fact that like, Cannabis is just as prevalent in our history and in our cultures across the world as queerness. Mm -hmm. And yet it's made to seem, particularly over the last, you know, 250 years, um, like it is much more removed or foreign or, you know, some sort of new development, some mutation, etc. Mm -hmm. And that just isn't the case. And for me, that perspective shift that paradigm shift when I realized that about queerness that like it, we've always been here there has always been a history of queer people and in literature and even in art and etc you can see depictions of queer people and queerness and then we get to like American history and we try to say, no, 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 they were just friends. Right. <laughs> you, right. No, no, those people you found cuddling in that tomb, they were just really close buds. <laughs> in that tomb. <laughs> yes, they shared, they shared all of their belongings and decided to be buried together to spend yeah. eternity in the afterlife together, but they were just bros. Yeah, but no homo, right? No homo. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Put on that gloss. But <laughs> it is the same color as my hair. Girl. <laughs> I feel severely underdressed. Let's just check you out. You're in the <laughs> nightclub scene. Anyone that's not watching on YouTube, um, Jamel's at a, at a club. And I. Not, I'm not just at any club. But excuse me. <laughs> I am at Babylon. Babylon. Philadelphia's premier gay club. Thank you very much. <laughs> Shout out to anyone in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm sitting here in a flannel and a hat, just like your typical lesbian meme. So with your houseplant behind with, you. <laughs> with my houseplant behind me and my dog right under my feet. <laughs> have a U-Haul key somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> the U-Haul is actually parked outside. I'm stereotypical. I'm drinking a LaCroix. So are you. I love, yeah, I am. I also have my lunch that I didn't eat, which is very gay because I was drinking coffee instead. <laughs> Oh, mm -hmm. I actually have my second cup of coffee that I might dangerously get into during this podcast. Um, a second cup of coffee for me is like a shot of meth straight into the neck. Like it is dangerous, but sometimes I just feel like I need it. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Wow. Okay. So what also, we talking about? <laughs> we have, we're talking about weed and gays and we're still oh, talking yeah. about it. So we haven't technically gone off topic. Okay, let's take some time now to talk about some of the gays, the actual real-life gays that we can thank for making cannabis legalization possible in, in America. We already mentioned some names, but let's, let's go into it a little bit. Yeah, so Harvey Milk is uh, someone that people are probably familiar with. 
he was a man from New York originally, and he moved to San Francisco in the 70s. Um, he had served time in the military and just wasn't really for him. He worked, I think, on Wall Street in some capacity. Wasn't really his vibe either. Um, moved to San Francisco and fell in love with the city, fell in love with the community, and started to live as an out gay man, which was... Which um, happens to everybody when they move to the Bay, by the way. <laughs> I think, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think he really found a sense of community there. He felt comfortable to be out and to be himself. And so then he started to see an opportunity to organize and to, to seek uh, political power in his community. And so he ran for several different offices. And um, one of his campaigns, though, was run out of a restaurant called the Tropicana. The Tropicana was owned by Dennis Perone. Um, who was a young man who had just gotten back a few years prior from Vietnam. And he brought two pounds of cannabis back with him from Vietnam and uh, landed in San Francisco and started selling cannabis and building community just the same. So a few years later, he opens Tropicana Restaurant. And uh, yeah, they, Dennis Perone and Harvey Milk uh, become pretty close uh, allies and friends and community partners. And, and they start to organize some of their community members around decriminalizing cannabis. You know, they, I believe that that ended up progressing. And I, I apologize because I don't remember exactly the position that Harvey Milk held, um, that he worked through that decriminalization process. But when he became an elected official himself um, and eventually ended up in the, on the board of advisors mm -hmm. and he stopped using cannabis and he stopped going to bathhouses. And cut his hair. <clears throat> and he cut his hair. Yeah. Um, because he wanted to come across as, as someone, you know, a family name, somebody more um, respectable, some may say. But for him, it wasn't prudent, basically, to continue advocating for cannabis because he knew that he would be more effective as the city advisor than as the cannabis advocate. Mm -hmm. Dennis Perone didn't have that same experience. Um, and so that's really where their paths diverged, but they continued to, to be close friends. And Yeah. Yeah, I think that the, the fact that they worked together is what made their duo successful but it is interesting to me at least like Harvey Milk had to push the lead the way a little bit to become like an out gay political person and then Dennis was then able to come in and go full force on the cannabis side um, I just want to fact check one thing I heard you say it's a very small detail but Dennis Perone's restaurant was called The Island not Tropicana but I wish it was called Tropicana <laughs> Damn it. I, I don't know if you said this or not but the the island was in the Castro neighborhood of San Francisco and Harvey Milk and his partner at the time owned a camera shop in the Castro district. And so they used those two places as like the campaigning area and the fundraising area. And they held all these activism and like organizing events in both of their uh, businesses. And that's what blossomed kind of this, the energy of the Castro wow. district, the Castro district. <laughs> And as we now know, the gay mecca of the West Coast, I mean, I say the West Coast because I haven't been very many places in the U.S., but I believe it's reckoned as um, the American gay mecca. 
the gay mecca. I love that. No, I agree. I think like um, it's interesting as well to think about again the time frame of this because this is only a few years after Stonewall. Wow. So Cast so Castro was really that moment of the LGBT community like taking the resources for themselves. The Castro was an interesting thing. I always think about, you know, when people are like, wow, if I could travel anywhere in time, that's honestly what I think about is like myself in San Francisco or like the Bay Area in like the late 60s and 70s through the 80s. And then I get really sad because the reality is that I would probably be dead. And... That takes us into what I think is the really critical connection between cannabis and the LGBT community, and that's the AIDS epidemic. Right, right, which is a a huge piece of this as well. And um, similarly to what you just said, I often daydream about going back to, I'm forgetting the name of the bar, I'm trying to quickly Google it, but what's the, the big club in New York City in the 60s and 70s? That's like where all like Andy Warhol and all the celebrities used to go and hang out. Studio oh, Studio 54. 54. Thank you. That's that. There's a documentary about Studio 54 on Netflix and I've watched it so many times. And oh my gosh, that's the place I want to transport to. Yeah. It looks uh, so amazing. And it's where gay people could be gay for the first right. time kind of. And there was obviously a lot of like drug slinging and just like wild partying but people look so free to be themselves there it looks incredible i would have torn it up i know i think that's when i was supposed to be born my parents were alive and kicking at that time and i'm like why didn't you guys live in new york city (laughs) yeah came here to reno nevada yeah i mean my parents were in a club scene here i'll give them that Oh, really? We were in show business in oh, Reno, yeah. Nevada. Whether that was anything comparable or not, who knows? But just to get back to the AIDS part of this, which I know is heavy, but I think it's a really important piece of, at least with Dennis Perone, his story, because his partner was dying of AIDS in the late 18, 1980s. And getting his partner cannabis was like the drive to what made him push for legalization because he saw how much it helped his partner in those days when he was like really suffering. And I think that that's something I've heard across the board is that people with AIDS, similarly to how now people with cancer use cannabis to treat a lot of the symptoms. It was one of the only things that was really making these people feel better and it was illegal. And so were their lives were still illegal at that time. And the whole thing just comes together in this like really sad, painful realization of like, why, why, why was everyone, why couldn't these people who were dying from something so tragic that no one understood able to have a plant that was help, helping them feel better? Right. To be met with such clear discrimination at the hands of your government in a time of need, in a time of duress, he um, started to distribute cannabis for his community um, through the um you know, just through knowing people and, and he had been selling cannabis before and now it was much more about a, a, a medicinal property and like providing relief directly to his community. And he worked closely with another um, famous cannabis advocate who is um, called 
Brownie Mary Rathburn. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't know. There's not a lot of information available about Brownie Mary, but she was an older woman who was a nurse um, who was arrested multiple times for giving infused brownies um, to to people who had AIDS. And so they worked together to supply the community um, with cannabis. And at the same time, Harvey Milk was working on the city council level. Um, well, I mean, this is the, not, I suppose not at the same time because um, Harvey Milk was murdered before the AIDS epidemic really took a grip. Um, but, you know, to then be working on decriminalization, to have a larger, higher impact, I think is very powerful. And think about what the queer community is capable of. Yeah. I don't know. I think that story should make anybody who has empathy in their heart understand why cannabis should be legal and should be available because these people who are fighting for so many things all at the same time and watching their loved ones just die or lay there in pain before they die for, I mean, months to years to whatever the experience was per person. I mean, you see a plant that can help them. It's like if you if you saw Advil was helping them, you would want to get all of your friends that were suffering the Advil. And to have to fight for all of these things legally, it feels like so much heaviness. I would feel so frustrated. Every direction you turn, there's another roadblock, you know? Right. And, and Dennis Perone, I think about him, and he must have been living in some serious amount of anxiety and fear growing all this weed and pushing it out and trying to protect his partner who's dying and also his friends and also be a community leader. Like that's so much going on. It's so impressive. And it's like, well, and to think about the very public and graphic assassination of their community leader of Harvey Milk, like only years before and that when I think about all of it in context, you know, I'm that man, yeah. And he kept pushing because he knew the power of the plant and he knew what he had experienced. This podcast is brought to you by Blackbird. Blackbird is a software and services company in the cannabis industry who provides marketing tools and transportation solutions that help cannabis operators grow their businesses and their brands. Looking to order some weed and get it delivered in the state of Nevada? Go to blackbirdgo.com and we'll get it to you soon. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's hard because I think that there are a lot of um, advocates who get, you know, time and who get their praise. And I think Dennis Perone and Harvey Milk do have a healthy amount of praise. And I would love to see more information then about who else was doing this work. Because we know there's other stories. We know there has to be other people and particularly people of color. Yeah. And that's where like, I think that, it's hard as a queer person of color to like gauge, you know what I mean? Like I want to feel so happy and excited. And at the same time, I'm thinking like, okay, but what about all of the black and brown people who serve time for this? Absolutely. Like the fact that you could use your experience to end eventually, you know, write the legislation, like that is a unique experience, you know? And that's what I think is like, um, is an opportunity in cannabis. Like I want to see more representation from the other aspects, but at the same time, that in no way diminishes what that man did for us. 
you know, and I think about it almost every day when I get up and put my wig on and go to work, like I wouldn't be able to do any of this and not just um, the cannabis work, but like so much of my life I wouldn't be able to do without strong um, queer people who knew their values and who spoke their values into beliefs yeah. and practices. Absolutely. I, I agree. I don't think that Dennis and Harvey are the only people that we should be talking about. And unfortunately for me, they are the stories that I know the most. And I think that that can make me and us have some homework and do another podcast episode on who else, because there's absolutely stories of indigenous people. You know, this plant's been around you know, if you follow where it's been traced from the beginning of time and it's all over the world and there's got to be stories of people fighting in every single country and city and, you know, generation. And even even now, people that are fighting different fights than we have to because they have different experiences than us. And here I am, a white person benefiting from from their hardships and I think about that a lot and I don't know what to do about that a lot, but I think at least we can use our voices here to educate and educate ourselves and share those stories. Yeah. I mean, I think it's in the same way that Dennis Perone was using his, you know, privilege um, to build a community and to build a platform. That's the same thing that all of us have to do. And privilege I think is a word that people get really uncomfortable with, or it feels loaded but like privilege is flexible and it is fluid, it's changing and it depends on who you're interacting with in what capacity, how, when, et cetera. You know, when I um, hopped on my meetings today, that's a, there's a, I'm having a level of experience that I wouldn't have on other days that I don't look like this, that I'm not dressed yes. more feminine. When I look much more masculine and I am dressed as um, though, I, and not to say because I know that I look, I have a mustache. It's hard to make that not look masculine. But like when I'm presenting in a way that people don't expect. I think you look femme and fab <laughs> all the way. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but when I am presenting in a way people expect, I am lent a certain amount of privilege as a man. And oh, I understand absolutely. that. And then, you know, being white, I'm half white and I look very white. And so that is another layer. But even those, there's not two people who have the same idea of who I am as a white person just based on how I look. And so that, like, privilege, I think people can be uncomfortable with thinking about their own privilege because it feels like it's something you should be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. But that's the whole idea is, like, you didn't ask for it and you didn't, you know, it was it it is a privilege and it is important then to use that and so um if anyone is listening to this and they have a person of color that they think should we should learn about and um listen to and i'm interested in in learning more about the people of color at this time we're talking about with Dennis Perone and Harvey Milk yeah who were there like you know and maybe a lot of it has yet to come and that's what i think is also beautiful about cannabis is like we're part of telling this story and so part of our job is to find them and find the yeah. people who haven't who are still afraid to come forward you know i'm sure there's people who have fought long and hard for it it's still federally illegal so of course so many people are still scared to come forward right. why would they trust the government or anyone to look out for them if they came forward with some stories so i think that yeah. i will wear my privilege shield 
as just that. Ding, 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 ding. Da, da, da. I wasn't asking for a collab, okay? <laughs> Damn, all right. I thought we were a team. That's fine. <laughs> hey, Jamal, what are you smoking today? Hey, Hal. I'm smoking Old Pal's Indica Pre-Ground Ounce. When you say Old Pal, do you mean me? No, Hal. I've got more pals than just Hal. <laughs> uh, my Old Pal comes in cartridges, eighths, ounces, other sizes um, of delicious, affordable weed, just mm. like your dad used to smoke. Just like it. That's I, really their tagline, but. I'm sure it's not, but I love it. We Old have... Hal. Jamal. Hal. Okay, I need to tell you what I'm smoking, okay? Oh, yeah. What are you smoking, Hal? Well, Jamal, I'm smoking, once again, out of my cute pipe, um, some Serene horchata oh i had that last week it was delicious oh you know what mine's wedding cake i actually do remember this time oh good for you <laughs> which is an indica so i wasn't wrong but here's my bag of horchata serene in case anyone's looking oh. on youtube 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 it's a fresh pack like and subscribe mm. Oh, wait, we're, I forget we're like literally on YouTube, so we should be saying that. <laughs> yeah, we should be. So subs- like, and subscribe, like and subscribe, drop a comment, turn on the notifications. We'd like to talk. For anyone that doesn't follow our Instagram, we made a bloop last week and we're really sorry. Um, we accidentally mistitled um, DeBarge. DeBarge is iconic. 1985 single rhythm of the night we screwed up we called it gloria estefan's rhythm of the night yeah i'm not even sure who gloria estefan is i keep saying estefan I bet, yeah that's her name i know but you're saying it with an, a little bit of a different enunciation estefan you're saying estefan and i'm saying estefan <laughs> that's right tomato tomato okay <laughs> i who is that well, I'll tell you what, she has a song called Reach that I like. <laughs> she, she sings the conga song. Oh, got it. Oh, yeah, that's, you know what? That is a bop. That's playing in this club here. Picture it, Castro, San Francisco, California, 19 homes <laughs> <laughs> Um, No, I do, want, I, I do want to preface this with this as an emotional story and um, it is uh, important to the history of cannabis and it's also important to recognize that this should never have happened in the first place. Um, and in 1992, I believe, Dennis Perone's partner, Adam West, was so ill that Dennis was dedicating the majority of his time to taking care of Adam. And 
uh, he wasn't selling cannabis anymore. The cannabis that he had access to was completely to take care of Adam and to continue to make sure that Adam was comfortable because his um, AIDS was advanced to the point that he was not most likely not going to make it. And one evening, the SFPD broke into um, their home and they pulled Adam West, who was 90 pounds, out of his bed and pulled him down the stairs into the foyer where they brutalized him. And it was from that point where Dennis Perone was looking from the, the floor above and into the foyer where his the love of his life was being brutalized by the SFPD that he promised that nobody should be put through that for what this plant was doing for him and for this plant in general. And so he made a promise that he wouldn't, that he would work to, to fight for cannabis legalization. And they arrested Adam West and they put them on trial for four pounds of cannabis. And that was um, found in the house. And again, those four pounds were just for the treatment of Adam West. Unfortunately, Adam West did not live to see the end of um, the trial and he passed away um, before he was um, he was proven not guilty or they did they decided not to press charges and Dennis Perone went to, on to work hand in hand with Brownie Mary to write the legislation that became prop 215 which was in 1996 it legalized medical cannabis and the creation of a medical cannabis um, industry um, but one thing is Perone's partner's name was Jonathan West. Jonathan, damn it. All right. All respect to Jonathan West. I apologize um, to him and his family. Yeah, so in 1996, the Prop 215 passed and medical cannabis became legalized for the first time in the nation. And it set us on a path to where we are now. Brownie Mary and Dennis Perone went on to open the San Francisco Cannabis Buyers Club, I believe. Yeah. Um, and which was one of the first dispensaries in the in the nation. And they continued to serve the people of, of the Castro and the, of the Bay Area. Dennis actually ran for governor a handful of times for California governor. Um, and he, he wasn't successful, but he did... Um, you know, continue to advocate for outright cannabis legalization across the country. Um, but he, again, didn't support recreational. And so he voted against, I believe, the first initiative to push for um, recreational cannabis in California and was a, a vocal advocate. Um, but, you know, there are still people who are benefiting from the partnerships that Dennis Perone put together. One of them that is influenced by the work that he and Brownie Mary did is compassionate use where people are able to donate cannabis to underprivileged people who need it for um, HIV and AIDS and, or for, you know, other issues that they don't have access to cannabis for. And so these are connected. These histories between the plant and between the LGBT community and between the lack of movement from a federal government around a health crisis is connected. And they're connected in ways that are deep and varied. And the importance is that we recognize that, that it has, it was Dennis Perone, but it was also Brownie Mary. 
And it was also the countless other people who died and or who were arrested for this plant. Um, and I am privileged and honored that I am able to continue that work. And it is very important to me and to Blackbird, I think, in general, to continue that work because that's why we're here. That's how we got here. And the only way we can bring more people in, the only way we can keep this change going and really continue to push is through this work. And to me, through it all, it was the love that Dennis Perone had for Jonathan West that allows for all of this to be real. For like me to be sitting here on this computer that is paid for using a microphone that's paid for with cannabis, internet that's paid for wearing clothes that's paid for with cannabis. And I'm able to talk about being queer and working in weed is because of Harvey Milk and Dennis Perone. And I will never forget that. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> I love being gay. <laughs> I love it when you make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but truly, it's so... Uh, it just feels meaningful and it feels important and it feels like I get a lot of pride out of learning those stories and being a part of a community that, I mean, a few generations behind, but a part of that community. And like, I feel it when I walk around the Castro and like go into those coffee shops or bookstores and just like sit there and hang out. I think about the history there and how important it is. And yes, as a young 20 something, I would go there to party with my friends, but like, as I get older, I realize how special places like that are and these people that took huge risks that I don't have to take. I live a very comfortable, easy, normal life as a queer person here in Nevada. And I, it's, I'm really lucky and thankful for that. And to right. be cannabis too, like you said, like I am living well because I have a job that supports me and it's from cannabis. At some level, this is gonna make me cry, at some level it feels like justice. Like I have my health insurance is paid for and I'm on PrEP. It's 99% effective of blocking HIV. And I was able to get that insurance because I work for a cannabis company because Dennis Perone loved Jonathan West more than he loved himself. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Oh, it really is. I know. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Whoo! I'm gonna be like, damn, the second episode got deep fast. Up, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just crying. Jesus, <laughs> we get it. You're a prize, Don. Now you know it's like, come on, gays, let's talk about the 44,000 people still in jail for weed. Then let's talk right. about police brutality. Let's come on now. Well, and I also think that it's important that the cis white people that also work in this industry with us know the history because I don't know how many people really know those stories and really like you and I wake up thinking about those stories as we get ready for work each day. Right. They're so. just cashing their big gay paychecks. <laughs> not even knowing how gay it is. No. So yeah, everybody listen up, tune in. We're going to keep dropping facts here on this podcast. Big emotional facts. Yeah. Also, I wanted to say that um, this episode was queer focused, but honestly, 
every episode is. And that's what's beautiful about this podcast is Mm -hmm. it's just gay, you know? And like we said before, weeds for the gays. (laughs) (laughs) Join us next time on We'd Like to Talk when we talk about whatever we'd like to talk about. Hell yeah. Can't wait. Thank you so much for tuning in and find us on Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'd like to give a shout out to our friend Will Tapau from Blackbird who does our music. Check us out on Instagram. Blackbirdgo.com. Bye. Bye. Thank you.